0: You have your Bibles. Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter two. Matthew chapter two. Let me turn this on. There we go. Can y'all hear me now? All right. And let me cut, take this off because it is warm up here. Matthew chapter two, starting in verse thirteen. We'll we'll finish out the chapter tonight. Uh, this morning. Oh, good. All right. Title this morning is called The Devastation. If you have your the bulletin, I'm guessing it's on the back of the bulletin, right? Yeah. What did I put down? What I give you? The slaughter, the slaughter. Okay. Yeah. I just didn't change it in my title, I guess. One of these days, me and you are going to get on the same page. <laughs> the Slaughter. I changed it last moment, I believe. Um, why, I don't know. But the slaughter, I'm sorry about that, y'all. Um, we noticed when we were going through the uh, book of Genesis, or as we were going through the book of Genesis uh, on Wednesday nights, uh, when we first started way back when, close to three years ago, uh, we noticed that death appeared once we got into the fourth chapter of Genesis. But here in the New Testament, as we'll see today, uh, he aggressively appears in the second chapter. And he comes out swinging both both fists here. Excuse me. But just like the Old Testament, uh, we find that death comes to those whose life is innocent. Abel, man, he, he, didn't, uh, he, he wasn't a murderer or nothing like that, but yet he was slain by his brother. His heart was bent towards the Lord. And here in the New Testament, as we will find out today, that we have innocent babies uh, who are being slaughtered. Now, this, uh, we shouldn't be uh, shouldn't gasp too much this morning uh, due to the fact that since 1973, here in America, the slaughter of innocent babies has been going on in our own country Day after day after day. And that's under the alias of women's rights and pro-choice. Although this does go on every day, uh, the fact that it does many times a day, there are some who have had an abortion in the past and have since regretted it. There are many out there that have had that done and have regretted it since then, there are many that, that are out there who have actually worked for an abortion clinic and since then have regretted ever working there. Many out there who have done that. Many doctors who have, who have performed abortions and, and have regretted it out after the fact. Uh, those testimonies are pretty powerful uh, to listen to if you ever hear those. But to those who have realized their mistake... This morning, to those who realize there's sin in, in this, in this uh, abortion deal, uh, I will say this. God is able to forgive you. And God will forgive you if you ask Him to. Did you hear me? We must remember that when Christ hung on the cross, the sins of this world, past, present, and future, all sins, I said all sins, I said all sins were hung on Him. So yes, even the sins of abortion, God will forgive. With that, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started. Father, I ask for your strength this morning. I ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want nothing out of this message as far as for personal gain of 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 preaching it, Lord. I want I want spiritual gain from it, Father. And I've received spiritual gain in studying it, Lord. But I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit be upon me to preach to the people this morning that they will get something out of this message that will change their life. Father, we we come to church week after week. And sometimes it's one sentence that they can get out of the entire message that will change their life forever. Father, I pray that I'll say that one sentence today. That these people will go home a different Different than they were when they got here. That they will, they will leave this place closer to you than when they were when they got here. That they will leave with their minds uh, ever so much closer to being knitted to you and your word than they were when they got here. Father, I, I stand up here to preach today, not to hear myself talk, not as a job, but as a calling. I couldn't do nothing else. You called me to do this. And Father, help me to do it the best of my ability. But not only that, in the power of the Spirit. Open up our hearts and our minds today to receive your word. Give us what we stand in need of, Lord, I do pray. In Christ's name, Amen. amen. Speaking about abortion, I heard the news I shared Wednesday night about the state of Texas with the heartbeat law uh, uh, for uh, abortion, where they're passed uh, against the law to have an abortion after the first trimester, you said? Six weeks. Six weeks. uh, um, That's amazing. That's wonderful to hear that. It really is. For the fact that uh, um, uh, a state has actually done that. And then what's even more of a miracle is that the Supreme Court has passed it up. They're not going to, as of right now, they're not going to look at it. They're not, not going to contest it or anything like that. And that's, that's a blessing. Um, and I wish more states to go that direction. I wish all the states to go that direction. The world. But that's a good step in the right direction. This morning I've got four points I want to share with you. And the first is the departure. That may have been why I changed the title because these start with a D. Maybe when I've done it. Uh, verses 13 through 15. Under this point, I have three subpoints. All right, the first subpoint is the promptness. Promptness, excuse me, the promptness of the departure. The promptness of the departure. This is verse thirteen. It says here, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, "Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word." For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now, we know that the Christian life is a journey, both spiritually and physically speaking. We're on a journey as a Christian, alright? Think about Joseph here. He he is being asked to help Mary raise up the uh, the Christ child. He was thrown into this, alright? This is a spiritual journey, to say the least. He's on a journey of a lifetime. All right? But now he's being told to pack up his belongings and whatever you can carry Joseph. Uh, they didn't have U-Haul, all right? They may have had a camel haul or something like that, but they didn't have no U-Hauls back then. All right, but whatever you can carry with you and and to leave. Leave immediately. Notice that this was not a request, but a demand. God didn't ask if he would if he didn't mind that, you know, Well, Joseph, if you don't mind, can y'all, you know, kind of pack up and leave? You know, I I don't want you to be disturbed or nothing like that. No, he said go. He said arise. He told them to arise and flee. Flee. Flee is not a word. It's not a casual word, but it's to be taken seriously. If we were told by our friends or by our family or by the government that you need to flee uh, your house because something bad is about to happen. I think we'll take that a, lot, a little bit more seriously than they said, well, we, we need you to uh, move within six to 12 months. You know, uh, there, there's a there's a uh, action that, that needs to be done with the, this uh, command here. Immediate action. But that's just it. Uh, there will be times that God tells us to do something and he means for us to do it right then and right there. Uh, not when we feel like it or when we're ready for it or w- when we're better equipped or better prepared to do it. He, sometimes he asks us to do something and to do it right then. This situation uh, kind of reminds me of uh, Abraham. Whenever God spoke to him, he asked him to leave his homeland. He meant for him to leave right then. He wanted Abraham to, to, to get up, to pack his stuff and leave. And I, and I remember us looking at that in our Genesis study, and it looked like that uh, he didn't really want his, uh, him to take anybody with him. He just wanted him to go. It looked like his father had slowed him down some, from what I remember. But as for you, listen, God may one day ask you to volunteer for a position at the church. He may ask you to volunteer to do something. He may ask you to, uh, to, to, to teach a Sunday school class or to help out in some other way. There may be a monetary need within the church that you maybe feel, uh, may feel like you, you need to help out in, whatever it may be. And with each of these things that God may be uh, pressing upon your heart to do, you might think to yourself, well, I'm not qualified to teach a class, or I don't have the, the, the time to, to, to volunteer for this or volunteer for that, I don't have the resources to, to give. However, we must remember that whatever it is that God requires from us He also provides the means for us to do it. If God requires of us to teach a Sunday school class, He will give us the means to teach it. If He requires of us to to give extra on a special project or or a special circumstance, then He'll provide the means for us to give to make up for for what we have given. Now, B is the place of the departure. The place of the departure. Y'all paying attention up there? Alright. I seen your head. I didn't see your face. Okay. Alright. This is verse 14. It says, when, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Here we see that Joseph went to Egypt. This was God's direction for him. This, God told him to go to Egypt. Alright. He was told to do so and we see that in the previous verse. Now, I know what some of us, and I was even thinking it to begin with, why in the world would the Lord ask him to take his family to Egypt? We know the history of Egypt. We know the history of, look, the, history, the Egyptians had a history of enslaving the Jews. They had a history of fighting with them. So, why would God have him to go there? It's amazing what God does uh, uh, in the background while he's got something else going on. He's multitasking. It is recorded that when Alexandria the Great, uh, when he was in power, that he built the city of Alexandria in Egypt. And when he did so, he gave a portion of that city to the Jews along with some certain uh, privileges for them to, to have while there. Not only that, about 150 years before our Lord's birth, there was a temple built for the Jews, especially for the Jews in Egypt. And at the time of our passage here in Matthew, there were close, if not to a a whole million Jews in the country or in the nation of Egypt at that time. At this time, Egypt was very friendly to the Jews. It was a a safe haven. like Like... America has been for, for the Jews and thank God for that you can't go look, let me just interject this right quick you can't go to many nations and see a local church next door to a synagogue you don't see that often you come here in America yes you can see that that's why I say that all right and because of this, because Egypt at this time was friendly to the Jews, and because this became the place for, for the Christ child to be taken to for safety because of these things, it's prophesied over in Isaiah chapter 19 verses 22 through 25 uh, uh, that uh, God will bless the nation of Egypt during the millennial reign of Christ because of their uh, uh, being a safe haven for the Christ child. God's going to bless him for that. And if I ain't mistaken, we spoke about this a week or two ago on a Sunday night in Hosea. I, if I'm not mistaken, I remember, I remember those verses. Okay That's why I was thinking. All right, moving on. Did you notice also how obedient Joseph was to the Lord's command? He didn't wait till morning. Look there. It says, "What are we at here? Verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night. He didn't wait. When hey, look, we don't hesitate when God tells us to do something. You hesitate, you may, you may die. Uh, I know uh, here, talking to people in the military and stuff, and uh, uh, you know, they tell you, uh, look, when your you're sergeant or whoever it is tells you to do something, you do it right then. Because it could, it could save your life. So, you know, when you're in a, in a firefight or something. You, you, do, you do what you're told. And that's what Joseph did. He didn't wait, but he got immediately up and he left. And it, then also it says that he took the young child and his mother. Did you notice that? God told him to take the young child and his mother. His priority was who? The child. His priority was take the young child and his mother. It wasn't the mother and his child. God, God said you take the young child and the mother. His priority was the child. Always, always the, 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 the son of God there. Then see. We see the prophecy of the departure. The prophecy of the departure. Verse 15. And was there until the death of Herod. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying out of Egypt have I called my son. Those of you who are able to come on Sunday nights know that this prophecy was given by Hosea. We just got we just have just hit Hosea chapter 11 and it came out of Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. We looked at it I think last week if I ain't mistaken. when going over this verse, I I said that the scripture will sometimes have more than one meaning. I said that Israel nationally was a son. son. Israel was nationally a son to God. We see this over in uh, Exodus chapter 4 verse 22 where it says, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Israel is the Lord's son nationally, whereas Christ is his only begotten son. You can also compare, for further study, let me give you this to you. Uh, You can compare Romans chapter 9, verse 4 and 5, along with Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, and compare that with Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 52, verses 13 and 14. Uh, And this shows the comparison of the servant nation, Israel, and the servant son. And if 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 I spoke too fast for that, just see me afterwards, I'll give you those verses again. Alright, so you can write them down. Uh, Now we come to part two, the destruction, verses sixteen through eighteen. And here I have two sub points. The destruction verses sixteen through eighteen. Point one is the punitive measures. The punitive measures. The, the, The the SARS has become my friend in my study. I don't know all these words. I couldn't do this by myself. But anyway, verse 16. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in, the, in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which they, he had diligently inquired of the wise men. That word, excuse me, the word wicked doesn't even describe Herod accurately. Doesn't even describe him. He was worse than wicked. Allow me to read to you a quote from one commentator concerning Herod and his passion for wickedness. Listen to this, quote, He had ten wives, two of whom he murdered. One of the two wives was supposedly his favorite wife. He murdered in cold blood three of his own children, as well as several other family members. He was so ruthless that in his last months, when he knew that his death was imminent, he issued a decree that on the day of his death, principal men of the entire Jewish nation were to be killed. He did it so that there would be widespread mourning. End quote. I will say this on the day of his death, the two people that he told to execute that did not execute it. It was his wife and one other person. Maybe in the head guard or something. But they didn't execute that so those Jewish people were spared that. But he, he knew that if he hadn't done that, the Jews wouldn't have mourned for him. But he wanted somebody, he wanted the whole, the whole area there to mourn for him. That's why he wanted that to happen. That's how wicked he was. Then we also seen where he had uh, uh, slaughtered all the children that was two years old and under in Bethlehem. Now, the thing about that, let me give you the size here. The, Bethlehem was a small town, and it was probable that no more than 15 to 20 babies were murdered at this time. Though that is a tragedy. Don't get me wrong. That is a tragedy. But it wasn't like it was a metropolis or anything like that where there were hundreds of thousands of, of people. It, it was, they, they're, they're guessing 15 to 20 uh, babies were killed in, in Bethlehem. Like I said, that's still a tragedy. All right? And then B, verses 17 and 18, we see the prophecy. The prophecy. Let me read this. Then was fulfilled that which... Was spoken by Jeremy or Jeremiah, the prophet, saying, "In Ramah, was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and a great mourning? Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not." This also comes from an Old Testament scripture with a double meaning. It's referring back to the when the Babylonian army took the Jews captive. Uh, Ramah uh, was a small town just five miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, in the Old Testament, excuse me, when the nation fell, Jeremiah and others that were in Jerusalem were taken, they were taken captive and carried uh, as far as Ramah. But at that point, and Rama, um, who was it?? Give me just a second. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, he ordered Jeremiah's release. All right, The king, uh, king of Assyria there ordered his release at Ramah. But the rest of them kept going. They, 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 were, they continued to be captives. All right? This is seen over in uh, Jeremiah chapter 39, verses 11 and 12. If you were to jump over to chapter 40 of Jeremiah, chapter 40, verse 1, we see Jeremiah and Ramah uh, where he was freed while the rest of the people were carried captive there. Uh, Ramah is a, is a town in the tribe of Benjamin. Whom was the son of Rachel, Jacob's wife? There, all right. She died in that childbirth and, and given uh, birth to Benjamin. There, all right. So this may be uh, what is referred to as Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not because her and Benjamin was where the Jews were being taken uh, taken away, captive there, and there's nothing they could do about it. But here in Matthew, we see the, the double meaning here where Herod's slaughter was going on in Ramah and Rachel could do nothing about it either. Have, uh, have any of y'all ever read the book Moby Dick? Anybody ever read that book? You read it? You read it? All right. Y'all, y'all may remember uh, this story, but it's a theologically uh, uh, symbolic kind of a story. All right. Um, the author Herman Melville uh, makes many allusions to biblical characters and events in that story alright one such allusion uh, is what we read is the famous captain of the Pequod if I'm saying that right is that Pequod the ship Pequod yeah, I thought it was it looked like that's how you pronounce it uh, Ahab was his name and uh, he was named after the wicked king of Israel alright uh, and he was in such a full aggressive pursuit of the albino whale uh, and he comes to a ship in distress and uh the ship was in distress because one of their sailors had fallen overboard. They needed help looking for him all right? and back then the rules the maritime rules of uh, the sea required that any approaching vessel uh, to assist um, of the other vessel that had been that 's befallen that needs help they were to, they were to stop what they 're doing and assist in any way that they could but when the captain of the, the distressed ship called out to the Pequod, Ahab disregarded. Uh, The maritime law and he passed him by just went right on by all right even though he could hear uh plainly those cries for help he wouldn't go the name of the other ship was called the rachel (coughs) melville was here citing the uh biblical reference here of rachel uh rachel's grieving uh, for her lost children Now we come to point three, the death, verses 19 through 21. Let me read those verses for you. It says here, But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Now, just like the seasons of the year, life has seasons. We begin with our birth. From there we go to adolescent years. Then we come to the prime of our lives where we dream big and work hard. Then our retirement years come which I hope they're coming one day for me. Uh, No, but uh, anyway, we get to those retirement years, and then after that, what's that? Death. Death. For the people of Israel, the death of Herod couldn't come fast enough. They were waiting for that day, all right? John Phillips gives us an account of his death. Now, the reason why we have such good, uh, good records Uh, 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 of of these things like this is because there were uh, actual historical records being written down about King Herod and stuff. So that's why he's got such detail right here, okay? I know none of this is in the biblical uh, side of things, but it's in the historical side uh, of history. All right, listen to this. Quote, "Uh, No more terrible scene is recorded in history than the death of Herod the Great. Gone were his slim good looks. He was coarse, heavy, and almost bald. Three of his front teeth had broken off. Tormented by the horrors of remorse, he would scream out for his loved loved and murdered wife, Miriam, if I'm pronouncing that right, and her murdered sons. Moreover, Herod was in the grip of a loathsome disease. His legs had become great stumps, nine inches thick at the ankles. He was covered with sores and full of mortifying wounds, horrible to behold. He could not eat without agony. His guards had to be changed frequently because they could not stand the stench emanating from his rotted stomach. His breath smelled like a charnel house. Now I had to look up what a charnel house Anybody know what a charnel house is? It's a house where they keep dead bodies until they're prepared to, for the viewing and stuff. That's what that is. All right? Continuing, continuing here, uh, the, all the crimes of Herod's former years were visited upon his 70 year old body. Death worked on the carcass of the living man as though he were already dead. End quote. That sounds horrible. That would be a horrible way to die. But that's the record of his death. Now, it was at his death here that the Lord came to Joseph once again in a dream. And he ordered his steps uh, to go back to Israel there. And so just like a good Christian, Joseph packed his belongings. And with the child and Mary, they began the journey back home. And each time that the Lord has spoken to Joseph, we see something spectacular. We see his simple and complete obedience. His simple and complete obedience. Joseph was safe as long as he listened to the Lord. He was safe. As long, as long as he followed the Lord's orders, he was in good shape. He didn't have to worry about anything. Hey, look, I'm here to tell you this morning that as long as we follow what God wills for our lives, come, come what may. Spiritually speaking, we are in good shape. We may have financial failure. We may have uh, physical health failure. But spiritually speaking, as long as we obey Christ and obey His will, obey His word, we are in good shape. And that's the, more, that's the more important of that. I'd rather have spiritual health than physical health and be spiritually dead. What good is, is money going to do me after I die? What good is a big house going to do me after I die? What good is uh, having fortunes and friends and, 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 and whatever else you want? What good is that after I take my last breath? Good for nothing. Good for nothing. Now we come to point four, the detour. Verses 22 and 23. Let me read those. But when Herod... Excuse me. My eyesight ain't as good as I thought it was. But when he heard that Archelaus uh, did reign in Judah, Judea, excuse me, in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee... And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Here Joseph heard that the wicked son of Herod reigned in his father's stead over Judea. Now, he was one of three sons that Herod's reign was divided to. All right? And Tippus and Philip were the other two uh, sons. And you hear them uh, more about them in the other Gospels and in uh, Acts also. All right. Uh, because of this news, Joseph gets an update to where the Lord wanted him to live. He goes to Galilee, Nazareth, to be more specific, which was a small town in that area. Now there's a debate on whether or not the, this prophecy was ever written down in Scripture. A lot of people say that this, that this prophecy, was you can't find it in Scripture. A lot of people say that. And, but they don't say that it was never said or that it was never prophesied. They just say it was a prophecy that wasn't written down. There's a difference there. Okay, but I, I lean towards what uh, Schofield says in his notes right here that, uh, that he's referring to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, which says this, listen. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch, capital B, all right, speaking of a proper name there, shall grow out of his roots. The name Nazareth uh, comes from the Hebrew Netzer. N E T Z E R, if I'm pronouncing that right. It means a sprout. A sprout. This this word was used as one of contempt. One commentator says this. He says, When a tree is hewn down, a small green shoot springs up out of the sun. A Hebrew, seeing such a root, would have used the word netzer. It's just a sprout. Uh, He would have said, uh, The tree is gone. Of what use is this shoot? Similarly, uh, Nazareth was just a small town on a hillside hemmed by 15 higher hills. It was a town of Galilee, an area that had a mixed population and was often contemptu- contemptuously called by the Jews Galilee of the Gentiles. End quote. So, this passage of Scripture kind of helps us to see that our Lord. He didn't come to this earth to be raised in a palace and receive a Harvard education. He 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 was he was uh, uh, raised in a little country village. He was raised somewhere that 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 was uh, remote, that that wasn't even a popular place. That was even despised among other Jews. Uh, you you remember uh, our study in uh, John, where uh, who was it? Nathaniel says, "Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth?" Jews didn't care for Nazareth. This is where our Lord was born. He wasn't born in, in, in a metropolitan city. He wasn't born in a, in a, in a, a castle or in a, in a mansion where he had all the things that he wanted and he could do whatever he wanted and he, and he had a luxury lifestyle. No, he came as a poor, uh, poor uh, uh, carpenter's son. The only luxury the Bible ever says that he had was a pillow. He didn't come to this earth to live that kind of lifestyle. He came to this earth for one reason. That was to die on the cross for our sins. If you and I could just be satisfied with food on the table and clothes on our back and a roof over our head. If we could just be satisfied with the, the, the things that we need. And, and quit trying to grab out for more, more, more. How much more could we give for the Lord? How much more could we do for the Lord? I'm talking about time spent doing something for the, for the Lord instead of doing it for ourselves sometimes. Now look, I know we all got our own lives. We all got our own dreams and hopes. Don't get me wrong. I think especially... In our society today, we we get caught up in the American dream. And it's sad to see that. This passage here should also show us how God's Word is always right on time. God's Word is right on time. And those who simply obey it can keep themselves out of a lot of trouble. How many times have I talked to people and they're going through problems I'm talking about Christians I'm not talking about the the lost world we know what's wrong with them they need need Christ but I'm talking about Christians how many times and and, and they've been in church they're faithful they they know you would think they would know the Bible but they got themselves in so much trouble because of one thing they didn't listen. They didn't obey. Brother, what am I going to do? How did you get in that situation? That, Why don't you listen at church? Don't you don't you read? Why don't you? You know, it's like you want to say, "Why are you so stupid?" But you don't want to say that, though. You know, you don't you don't want to say that. To me. But it's like <laughs> listen, read, simple. Look, we saw. In these two chapters, each time God told Joseph to do something, and what did Joseph do? He obeyed it. He immediately obeyed it. Look, not it's not that was Joseph's last, last way out, as far as, I'll try this first, Lord. And if this don't work, I'll come back and I'll try that. See, that's what we do. That's what we do in our lives. We want to try. We think we're smarter than God, so we want to try our own way first. Lord, I know that's what you said, but things are different nowadays. we got technology. Yeah, that technology's got a lot more Christians in trouble than, than, it, than they would be if they didn't have technology. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Yeah. Technology keeps us from the Bible a lot of times, doesn't it? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Keeps your passion from it sometimes. Listen. Simple obedience to God's word. Listen to the preaching of God's word and apply what you learn to your, to your life, to your heart. That will help you in your life. That look, you, you, want, a, you, you want less stress in your life? Stick stay in the book. Thank you. Just stay in the book. You want less less problems in your life? Stay in the book. Young people, listen to me. Those of you who are not married, listen. You, you, want, you want a better chance at marriage? Find someone that's, that, that's of like faith. stay in, That's already in church and stay in it. Don't go out into the world. You, 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 wanna, you, wanna, you want your home life, good kids? Listen to your parents. Just like just, just obedience. You don't have to back talk. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, 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 give your opinion all the time. We, look, I, I, I say that because I, I, I've been there. I was a kid once. I know you don't believe me, Matthew, but I was a kid once. I was your age one time. I wasn't as tall as you at that time, but I was your age. Listen. Simple obedience. Simple obedience. You have problems at work. It may be you're just not listening. You 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 may know more than your boss. You look, I, I know bosses that are that are they're only the boss because they're the, the son-in-law. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of them out there, but but simple obedience sometimes, and not, and you don't have to reply with a sarcastic comment every time either. Look, keep the stress down. There's enough stress in our lives without adding to it. Amen. Yeah. Just stay in the book. Stay in the book. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your strength.